Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gonna take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know what can I say? But it wasn't gonna happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, welcome in another edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. We're your hosts, uh, Bob Ryan, Jeff Goodman, here from uh, our homes in Massachusetts as Christmas approaches. And and I want to know, uh, what do you do every Christmas, Bob? And and what do you want for Christmas this year? Uh, I've, for the past several years, my wife and daughter and I have been going to visit uh, overnight with our uh, my daughter-in-law and, and my three uh, grandchildren. Uh, in a Long Meadow, Mass. Long Meadow being uh, the first town over the border from uh, from Springfield, uh, and uh, only about seven eight minutes from the Basketball Hall of Fame. Anyway, we go out there on Christmas Eve and spend Christmas Eve there, and then Christmas Day, and 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 uh, that that's that's been our routine for the last several years. What do I want? I I really you know you can always give me a book, you can always give me music. You know, I mean, you know, that I'm a jazz and 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 fifties and rock and roll guy, and but I'm, a, I'm any good jazz album, I'm I'm fine. And you can uh, and of course, what I really love is travel. You know, so uh, but uh, but really, I don't. Do I need another? Do I need another sweater? Oh, probably. You know, but you know, do I need another? I don't know. You know, I don't need anything in that at all. I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Do you do the uh, the shopping for the grandkids? How old are the grandkids? Uh, Twenty. Uh, no, my wife, uh, you know, my wife takes care of it. <laughs> she handles that. I, I'm the chancellor of the exchequer. You know, I signed yes. it. You know, I, I pay the bill, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> that. That's my role. My, my daughter, as you know, is is 16 now and has taken a liking to hockey. So uh, I was actually at the Seton Hall, Maryland game at the Prudential Center in Newark earlier this week. You know it well, I'm sure. And uh, I was staying at the, there's a Marriott Courtyard literally attached to it mm-hmm. and as i was leaving to catch the train <clears throat> to go from newark to philly to catch the kansas villanova game i passed through the, the new jersey devils team team store and uh, she's a big hockey fan now so i had to get something for her there that's all she wants for christmas is, is hockey something <laughs> hockey related um which is crazy because the girl didn't know what a hockey puck was uh, a year ago so i went in and you know i got her a sweatshirt i got her a ski hat and then I got a a pack of hockey cards. It's like, eh, they're like seven bucks. Why not? And I I handed them to her last night, and she looked at him like, "What is this?" <laughs> As probably a lot of kids do these days. Um, and then ten minutes later, she came downstairs. She's like, 
these are really cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I used to do this with baseball cards. They were my life, you know, back when I was younger than her, obviously, when I was probably eight till uh, her age. And then I, I probably at 16 um, was, was sort of done with getting autographs on baseball cards, stocking uh, players at the Weston uh, in, in Copley or, or or the Marriott Longwharf or wherever the teams were situated. Um, but, yeah, she's uh, she's. She's kind of all she wants is is hockey stuff. I for would Christmas. have been surprised to to learn that cards of that nature no longer exist at all. There's such a they're not part of this generation's experience or, or, or thinking as a rule. But you're right. I grew up, uh, you know, baseball cards were a big deal, and and I remember, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you know, trauma over, you know, the classic example of the mom throw out the baseball cards kind of thing, you know. But uh, you know, everybody has those family stories. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's that's great though. I'm glad to hear this, that they still exist. All right, so let, let's let's start with college hoops. Yes, because I actually think the storyline in college hoops might be bigger than whatever storyline we're going to talk about in the NBA, which we'll hit a few here. Um, the biggest story coming out of college hoops, and and was kind of further furthered my belief in the preseason watching Villanova beat Kansas uh, the other day at the Wells Fargo Center was that there's no dominant team in college basketball. You know, we're, we're going to have another number one. Um, whether it's Ohio State or Gonzaga. Um, uh, today, we're, we're taping this podcast just before the AP poll will be released, but it was Michigan State in the preseason, then Kentucky, then Duke, then Louisville, then Kansas. This will be number six, and I think there's a, there's a legitimate chance you could have, by the end of the season, uh, 10 uh, teams holding down the number one spot, which is just absolutely insane. Is this parity good? Is it bad for college hoops? The age-old question at any sport at any time is whether it's better to have the target team, the marquee team, the dominant, so-called dominant team that everybody can rally around and, you know, and focus on, or whether it's to have, uh, it's good to have the, what we have, the, the P word in progress here, the parody word. Uh, I've always uh, leaned a little bit more towards the parody one, even though I think the consensus feeling is it's good to have the marquee team. Well, we don't have it. We know you don't have, we know we don't have it. And it's just where we, this is where we are. Um, um, I think it's okay. I think it's wonderful because I think it's going to set up a good uh, uh, January, February with with a lot of good matchups, a lot of good uh, 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 questions. You know, there's a lot of good games. Period. I think it's a lot of good games and uh, in store and and all the all the leagues, uh, top to bottom. So I think that's really good. Now on this topic of great teams, I'm of the opinion that uh, the last truly great team was that 0607 Florida repeat team that we've had some we've obviously we had all the kinds of national champions including some very big marquee schools hello duke you know and hello kentucky but the fact is that um, uh, that last that florida team was special they did something we're never going to see again jeff which is guys ready to go to the nba saying ah i'll wait a year let's come back and do it all over again which uh, you that's Absolutely, uh, beyond the, the realm of p- any thinking and possibility of the modern uh, player. Yeah, Joakim Noah could have went top three and, and decided to come back, and Al yeah. Horford, and you, Horford, you know, you had NBA guys, you had great chemistry with with, with guys like Corey Brewer, uh, Torian Green, Lee Humphrey, Billy Donovan. Uh, I, I would tend to agree with you. I don't think there's been. That dominant team. Now, again, Kentucky was fun to watch that, with Anthony Davis and, and Michael they, If they had chosen to do it yes. that way, they could have been a team for the ages, you know, of the Kentucky, uh, that group, I think. Uh, but 
they didn't, you know, they, they didn't do it that way. They did it the way you do it. Now you get the hell out. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I, so I was talking to Bill Self about that after they lost to Villanova and, and I've talked to numerous coaches about it this year. And I, and I think it's fairly easy to, to figure out why college basketball has more parity than ever this year, why there's no dominant team. And it, to me, it's twofold. One, the easy one is the freshman class isn't that great. And a lot of these freshmen, uh, LaMelo Ball overseas, R.J. Hampton overseas, James Wiseman's going to end up playing three games. Um, a lot of the guys that were the best players went to schools. You know, Two of them went to Washington, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. Uh, again, Wiseman and another kid, Precious Achua, went to Memphis, two top 20 players. So you had, you had Duke and Kentucky down in terms of not having elite-level talent. But beyond that, Bob, the biggest difference, listen, when, when you started, even when I started in, in, in covering college basketball, the only time a kid left early was when he knew he was a lottery pick. Now kids are leaving early when they know they're not even going to be drafted. A lot of them, you know, maybe they get a two-way. They know that. They know they're not going in the first round. Mm -hmm. They're hoping, all right, somebody guaranteed me for a second round and I'm going to get a guaranteed contract. I'm gone. And, again, some of them, like a kid, Armani Brooks, left Houston after last year. He knew he wasn't going to be drafted. You know, I don't know where he, most of, Kyle Guy is a great example. He went 55th. Imagine if Virginia has Kyle Guy, oh. they're a completely different team. But he left because he felt like, you know what? I had done everything I did. I'll get my degree at some point, and I'm, I'm moving on. I'm not uh, – I can't speak – so I'm not going to put him in a category because I don't know anything about him personally. Okay, uh, you know I know I know his game, but I think that one of the things that we've had we have a new climate in in general in which uh, these kids really didn't want to go to college in the first place. They they felt compelled. They the the times and years past going back. I don't know where we I don't know where we draw the line. You're on the, you're out there in the trenches. I'm not. You could tell me this, or you could you could find. I could give you a, a mandate. This is your. This is your homework assignment, Jeff Goodman, uh, on, go. on the Ryan and Goodman podcast, is to try to determine when exactly was the cutoff line and the following idea. The idea that kids going out, going up uh, wanted to go to a, a certain college. Playing in college was the glamour thing, period. Yeah. That was big. And then, oh, yeah, if the NBA happens, it happens, you know. But uh, and, uh, to the point where we are, we know that the elite players, that is not the case. We know that from the time they get indoctrinated into the AAU experience, that they're thinking about the NBA. And they're, and and the college thing is is a requirement for now a year or two. And, and they're not... They're not devoted. They're not passionate. They're not loyal. It's not in their blood. They don't. They don't care. Quite frankly, witness. You know, I'm babbling. I'm going to stop. The transfer thing it yeah. is so run amok, so unbelievably run amok to the point where you now expect that any team in the top fifty has two transfers somewhere in the roster. Right. You have and, to. And, and they're lateral yeah. transfers. They're not up and down. They're not. Right. There's lateral transfers on the same level. of. I'm not. No, some of them aren't. Obviously, Duncan yep. Robinson, that was the, the the ultimate example of of upward mobility. Right. Go, sure. from, go from Williams to Michigan to a point now where he's he's going to be in the three point contest, by the way. You know, he's got, he? to be, got to be. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, nobody else has made 10 this year. But anyway, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? What's when did this absolutely turn and never look back that they're not these kids aren't interested in college at all 
and and where they go is almost incidental if it just uh, gets them to the point you know the way they can get to the NBA. Now again, I think it's different for for every kid, right? Kyle Guy went to college and and loved the college experience. For him, it was unique in the sense that he had felt he had tapped out with his with with what he could do, right? He went from losing in the in the the worst game of his career, the worst game of anybody's career, to them winning it all. So from the bottom to the top, and how could he really improve his draft stock? He had Maybe been- he could have a little bit, but he wasn't going to be a first rounder. I think he was smart enough to understand that that he wasn't going to be a first rounder. So why not go and 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 not risk anything? Uh, but there, yeah, there are other kids. This James Wiseman situation is, is crazy, Bob, because here's a kid who gets suspended uh, for for taking his family taking eleven thousand five hundred dollars from Penny Hardaway, his now current college coach. He gets hit with a suspension. He served basically half of the suspension. And he decides to bail on his team. Uh, he's going to be eligible or was going to be eligible February, uh, January 12th. So we're talking like three weeks, a few more games. And he says, I'm done. Now, my take on that, Bob, is this wasn't James Wiseman's decision, as it often is not the kids' decisions in these, in these situations. Often it's the people around him, and there's more hangers-on than ever. There's way more than when I broke into this, this industry where you have everybody's got a guy and their parents want to get involved. And if their parents don't get involved, they've got people around them, whether it's coaches or a hanger on that just sees money or whatnot, uh, giving them oftentimes bad advice, sometimes good advice, but oftentimes bad advice. Why, why would you leave school early when you put in two or three years uh, to, to go play overseas, get your degree. So you never have to come back because the odds are you're going to play overseas for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, then you're going to be 30 years old, and then you're going to have to go back in a damn classroom at 30. Yeah, Why not just finish it up at 22? Yeah, but they, they've just been devalued, you know, the yeah. idea of it, you know, and, and of course, and the money, the money increments that we're talking about are so potentially enormous and, and, yeah. and, and, and worthwhile as opposed to, you know, for 30 or 40 years ago. So, yeah, there's that, but uh, it, it's... Uh, well, you know, and the thing about Wiseman, hey, they, they, you tell me, Memphis could have made a run, right? With him. Sure, with James Wiseman, no doubt. This year, <laughs> run. He could have, like we talked about, this twenty-five teams that are thinking they they're going to have a shot. Um, I, in fact, almost every at-large team that gets in the NCAA tournament this year is going to legitimately go into this thing thinking we got a shot to win four straight. Mm-hmm. Why can't we? We at some point during the year, all those teams are going to have gone on a run, a good run and a bad run. And they can reflect on that and say, hey, listen, we just got to get that mojo back because the disparity is so minimal right now uh, between, again, one and 30 or 40 or whatever it is. I mean, Kentucky right now, think about this. Kentucky is not a top 25 team. They don't deserve to be. They're not. Somebody may have them on their ballot, but they shouldn't be. They lost to Evansville at home. They lost to a mediocre Utah team in Vegas. Then they fought Ohio State, a top five team in Vegas, the other day, and that was a it was a good effort. Uh, but ultimately, do you want to play Kentucky if they're a ten seed because they still have more talent than ninety seven percent of the teams out there? So you don't want to play them. But ultimately, same thing. Michigan State they haven't done anything yet. They haven't done anything yet. But you don't want to play those teams. So that's why the tournament to me yeah. is going to be more entertaining, more interesting because you can pretty much throw the seeds completely out the window. Ohio State, we just saw it compared to Kentucky. Um, Duke has its warts. Kansas just loses to Villanova 
and and their supposed best player uh, Dotson, their their point guard, has been abysmal in their two biggest games. So you kind of worry about about him. Louisville's got point guard issues. Um, you know, it's just it, it'll be fun, but I think we got to get there, Bob. I think it's going to be hard because there's nobody that you say as a college as a general sports fan or, or basketball fan that you say, all right, I got to watch that game. I, yeah. I think that's going to be the issue the next uh, month or so. Well, this is a team I always want to watch, and that's the, uh, I've seen them twice now. I saw them against Arizona and North Carolina, the Zags. Uh, they impressed me. Front court undeniably talented and, and, and relatively deep. Uh, the question is, uh, do they have the guard play? Are, the guards, are those guards as good as they you know, look at times and, 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 and not? I think that would be the question because I think the front court clearly is an is a, is a, is a excellent uh, group. Um, so I like the Zags. They're, they're the, look, you of the minimal, the little, the sample, small sample of stuff I've seen. They've they've been the best team I've seen so far. They, they've looked great. Uh, and the crazy part of Gonzaga, I'll give you another one. So Gonzaga last year loses Rui Hachimura, lottery pick, Brandon Clark, first round pick, Playing. Josh Perkins, a fifth year point guard who had played probably I think he had won as many games as just about anybody in the program, and then they lose their starting. Uh, wing Zach Norvell, who decides to leave early and he doesn't even get drafted. Mm-hmm. And Gonzaga is arguably the number one team in the country today. Um, just an amazing job by by Mark View um, to to kind of keep this thing going. I mean, he's twenty one of twenty one in terms of going to the NCAA tournament as a head coach in, at Gonzaga. I looked at him before the season this year and I thought to myself, maybe there's a chance with losing four guys that this streak ends this year. Probably won't, but this might be the best chance in a long time. And now we're talking about him as, as the number one I team in the country. Maybe for the ultimate uh, uh, fulfillment of what they can do, Tilly has to stay healthy. Yes. And that's been a problem, right? That's, yeah, yeah, that, no that's, doubt. I mean, Tilly and Tilly have to stay healthy. Yeah, they got to they gotta load manage him. They got to yeah. load manage Gillian Tilly as, as as much as anything. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. You're right. But uh, but they've they've impressed me, and I recommend to people if you get a chance to see them play, uh, see what go go check out the Sags. All right, so uh, let's go Trey Young. Yeah, let's go Trey Young. You wanted to talk about him a little I bit. He's he, seven the other night in defeat, but he had forty seven. I I just I liked him. Look, we go back to that year two years ago, and and let's do it. All the dynamic games, you you got our attention immediately. Uh, but but he's doing it nights the same thing. It looks like he's playing against Baylor or Oklahoma State or Iowa State, right? Even I mean, and that body, you know, didn't look like you wondered whether it would hold up or whether it was is it was transferable to the NBA, right? And I re- I remember talking to him and his dad, and, and they both thought there was no shot he was a one and done. First of all, because of his body, and then. His dad thought there would be more of, of a, you know, a, a tough adjustment going to the NBA because he still looked like a boy at yeah. that point. And there was early, and there still is to some degree. I mean, his numbers are, are spectacular. He's averaging like points a game, right? He's averaging twenty eight, and and uh, he's, uh, he's he's capable of a fifty point game any 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 given moment. Uh, no, he's and he's it's a buzz about him, it's excitement. And remember, he led the league, in, he led the country. In both categories at the time. How many, how many games have they won so far this year, Buck? Uh, well, that's another matter. <laughs> <laughs> how many games? Listen, here's one for you. How many games did they win at Oklahoma the year he was there? No. And how far did they go in the NCAA tournament? And then the year after? 
They want they. I'll, I'll give you the numbers. They won 18 when he was there. They won 20 the year after. They went to the first round of the NCAA tournament the year he was there. They went to the second round of the tournament the year after. That's my worry with Trey Young. That's my worry is, is he enough of a team guy? Now, again, he's got the ability to make people better. I mean, he's averaging, what, uh, eight assists a game for the second straight year. He's got that shake and bake. He can make people better. But can he be the best player on a playoff team? I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. Fair question. Now, they haven't been whole all year. I know James Collins is important to them, and he's been out. <laughs> and, and we'll see. But but I'm just, you know, he's still he's still fun to watch. He's fun to watch. You know, just like uh, I'm, and, and I call him Junior Junior Young is John Morant. You know, the, there's a lot of similarities there. Last to watch. I mean, talk <laughs> about a guy who's got a gear, huh? I mean, that 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 dunk and the the – I mean, everything he does is with ferocity, right? But the thing that separates John Morant from a lot of those, you know, the Russell Westbrooks in terms of the athleticism is, is he's got a better feel for the game. He, he really has got a good feel. And if they surround him with better players in Memphis, yeah. you know, Jaron Jack, he's got a couple, but not enough. No. Um, if they can get another really good player in the draft this year, you know, same thing with Atlanta. Like you said, John Collins comes back tonight. He's been suspended for 25 games. They got to get Kevin Herter going like he was playing the second half of last year. He started. They've got some good pieces. But my my biggest worry with Trey Young is like he's got to be the guy, the ball dominant guard. And at Oklahoma and at times at Atlanta, guys stand around and watch. And the other part is he's abysmal defensively. He's got to get better there. But, man, he's fun to watch. Like you said, he can shoot it from anywhere. He's got court vision that a lot of people don't have. He's got the passing ability. I mean, there's some some comparisons to Steph Curry at this stage, but actually he's way more effective um, and explosive offensively because he's been given the opportunity to do so in Atlanta. Yeah. Right. He's got that carte blanche, you know, with the ball, there's no doubt. And it, that, that makes a big difference. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Isaiah Thomas. Oh. The only player, by the way, Bob, the only NBA player who has me blocked on Twitter oh, is wow. Isaiah Thomas. Whoa. And he went into these stands after a heckler the other night. He didn't go after him. He just went in the stands uh, to basically um, advise him that he shouldn't be uh, swearing and yelling profanity. And, and, and the finger. He gave him, he gave him the finger, too. Couple All right. Yeah. Where, where, where do you, here, here's my take on this, Bob. Here's my take. is If everybody did that um, after being yelled uh, F you, uh, the B word, and, and being given the finger, wouldn't we have uh, somebody from every single game, every single game, there'd be an NBA player running up into the stands. Every college game, there'd be somebody running up into the stands. Like, really, Isaiah? This, this is this was over the top for me. There's a couple of things at play here. One is the idea of the old sticks and stones will break my bones thing at all, uh, at all. And it appears that this was not a. They didn't have the the big uh, X factor. The racial component, right? It didn't have this, the racial slur component. It didn't have the the N word or anything else involved. It's so for people who don't know. Here's how stupid it was. This was about, as far as we can tell, this guy. Uh, the game was in Washington, right? Game was in Philly. In Philly. Philly. And the Philadelphia 76ers have a second half promotion that if with with for a frosty with with whoever that if. The opposing player misses two free throws in a row. You get a frosty, <laughs> and, and 
and so this is the issue. He makes the guy's giving him all this crap, you know, because he's making free throws. It's so the the premise was stupid on both parts. But anyway, no, it, you can't. You you don't go into this. Thing. Let's go back to the malice of the palace. This 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 prohibition. This this awareness. This understanding that this is the this is the ultimate. No, no, you don't do it. It all stems from that miserable night many many years ago in the malice in the palace. And it, you can't go in the stands. And no, he wasn't going in to to put his hands on the guy or anything. But you just you, you don't you do not go into the stands. And and any remote prob- uh, you know sympathy that we may have had for Isaiah would have been if it were some incredibly awful racist thing, sure. maybe maybe involving his wife, his mother, his daughter, or as and on top of it, you know what I'm saying? And that would infuriate you and inflame you. But if this is about a frosty, I mean, this is. What's his mindset? Well, well he, he's listen, Bob. He's thin-skinned enough to block me on Twitter because I've said that he's not nearly back when he when he came to the Celtics and started really rolling with the Celtics. I always said he's not a top twenty-five player in the NBA. He never will be because he doesn't play a lick of defense. Yeah, and I said he'd never get paid. Now I feel bad for Isaiah because again he got hurt and he really That's didn't so- get paid. But yeah. but remember he he had the comment back up the Brinks truck. Nobody was backing up the Brinks truck for him, even if he was healthy, because the situation in Boston was perfect for him. They had nobody else who could beat anybody off the bounce. Brad had to give him the ball and let him do his thing. But ultimately, Danny Ainge knew there was a cap on what you can do. Again, kind of like with Trey Young, but certainly with Isaiah Thomas as your best player. So I mean, how thin skin do you got to be to block somebody for for writing that the, <laughs> yeah, you know you're not gonna. You're not one of the top 25 players, which you're not. No, that's absurd. I mean, but this this act is uh, two games is a pretty minimal. Frankly, I guess that's well because he didn't because it didn't get so heated and there was not nothing physical that ensued. He just but well, but this, I just go back to it, Bob. Think of how many like Kevin Durant everywhere he goes. You don't think he gets yelled things far worse than that? If he could. He could go into the stands every single time. I mean, think of J.J. Redick back when he played for Duke, what he got. Adam Morrison used to tell me, um, you know, the, some of the things that, that that he got yelled at when he went around the country. Robbie Hummel, you know, when he went to Indiana, used to tell me he used to get, you know, oh. crazy things yelled at him. I mean, we'd have every single game, multiple players going up in the oh. stands if, if this were the case. So Isaiah, like – you're lucky, right? I would have, I would have hit him with a lot worse than two. Yeah, well, he got two, and that's that. I, I don't know if that's going to be a sufficient deterrent or warning to people. You know, stay out of, you know, stay out of the stands. We'll see. But uh, it's, it's, it's just, I just find the fact that why the guy was getting on him is, is hilariously, you know, just laugh at it. Like, like I laugh. Kentucky I, fans, when I'm at a Kentucky game, are yelling at me all the time. All the time, <laughs> I'm getting yelled at. Uh, you know, profanities, whatever. I get it on Twitter, obviously, like crazy. But even in person, if I'm walking down, I had a player a couple of years ago, actually in, in, I think it was the Vegas Summer League, because it was a year maybe Ben Simmons wasn't playing. And I was walking down, and some guy with a Kentucky shirt hurled a ton of profanities at me. <laughs> and I just looked up and started smiling and laughing. Like, what, what else are you going to do? Like, Isaiah, and you're not a rookie. You're not yeah. a rookie. You've been going through this a long time. Yeah, no, it it it, it, it was foolish, but absolutely <laughs> foolish. Uh, you know what else might be foolish? This in-season oh. uh, 
preposterous idea of Adam Silver and whoever else to have this in-season tournament in which it appears as though they're going to throw the carrot in front of uh, the the players who win a million dollars for each player who wins or something like this. And they're going to try to do this thing in November, late November, early December. I don't even know their specifics. I just know, like, to me, why? Why are we doing this? The the NBA, if you want to cut down the schedule, fine. Go from, you know, go to 78, cut a few games off if you're worried about this load load management or whatever. But this in-season tournament, honestly, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Oh, beyond, I I don't understand it. I'll be perfectly honest. I I haven't seen it laid out for me in detail. Uh, the 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 uh, thought process behind it eludes me. The the uh, execution of it eludes me. I, I just find it absolutely incredibly preposterous, and I I'm just amazed because I really have to this point in time up to this year I've admired and liked and, and you know and, and, and respected uh, Adam Silver and 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 I I just don't know what this is like an incredible overreaction to this rate if it is to the restrict reaction to the ratings thing is that what it is uh, yeah I I don't get it. I, I can't comprehend this thing. It's just, a, I can't, obviously, if they're going to throw that kind of money around, the players will get their interest, you know, their attention, I mean. But beyond that, who cares about who, who would win this thing? And want, Oh, my God. You're going to hang a banner? And these guys are making $30 million. Like, yeah. honestly, do you, do you really think a million? I mean, again, the second unit guys, sure, a million dollars is going to be significant to those guys. But, you know, you, you really think Kawhi Leonard is going to be phased when you tell him, you got a chance to win a million dollars now. He's going to play when he wants to play and when he thinks he should play. And <laughs> you know, same thing with LeBron. Those guys can make that in in, in one commercial. They can they can make a, <laughs> a million dollars. So they're not going to put themselves out there. I, I just I do. I think it's it's too much pressure now that that Adam Silver feels to to change certain things. And you know, don't don't fix it if it's not broken. Again, I just think there's better ways. If you want to if you want to cut down. The number of games, you know, the one thing with the NBA is it's not like baseball, right? Baseball, you've got records that have been in place for so long. So you don't want to you don't want to cut the number of games. Really, NBA, there's no there's no record season records that mean points scored that season or how many threes you hit. Nobody cares about that stuff. No, no. People don't. Most fans are vaguely aware that a modern fan is vaguely aware that Will Chamberlain once had a year where he scored 50 points a game. Those of us who lived through it and are, you know, in the business and staff, we could tell you, yes, it was actually, it was 50.4 points a game. Okay. (laughs) And, and he has like 27 rebounds on top of it, you know, in a world that doesn't exist anymore, you know, when they took more shots and missed and, and made fewer, you know, so somebody had to get the rebounds, you know, all right. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it's not about numbers. I don't know that his career total points. I don't know Kareem's total points. I don't know, uh, you know, who's the all-time scoring leader in total points. I believe. Um, still, I believe. Uh, and I, by the way, I may be wrong. I know Carmelo's like up there in the top two or three. You know, yes. so um, you know, we don't have those kind of numbers. There's no number. There's no five eleven, seven fourteen, fifty six. You know, fifty six. You know, there's there's no number like that. And and uh, in fact, in any other sport. Is there a number like that? That's not just true for baseball, for basketball. It's also true for hockey, and it's true for football. I mean, you know, give me the number, give me the total, the, the rushing total of Emmett Smith. What's the number? Who knows? No clue. No, none. no zero clue. Now we do know now five forty one because it's, it's so fresh in our mind about uh, Breeze, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, for fresh now, fine. But see if it's in anybody's mind in February. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Um, um, hey, uh, before we go, I, I want to get your thoughts on on since you brought up Will Chamberlain. 
How, how would he be in, in today's NBA? Well, you know, the game is so different that would they play, would they presented with a colossus such as Will, with the skill set that he had, seven feet one, uh, uh, the, the, the strength that could, he was a great athlete. You know, he wasn't, he, he, he did a lot of uh, decathlon stuff at Kansas. I mean, a lot of them, he went, he, he could throw the shot. He could, I can tell you stories from people about his incredible athletic prowess. How about, I'll give you this one. And then how, you know how strong he was? The great, the late George Caseta, who I believe was the greatest writer that ever covered the NBA. I'll go to my grave saying that. He, he, he wrote me a letter once and he, he saw Wilt Palm a bowling ball. <laughs> now, you think about <laughs> Come that. on. Come on. You tell that. To, oh, Shaq, you go. I want you to go out and try it now. I want, uh, Joel, <laughs> hey, Joel, you think you're cool? Go palm me a bowling ball, okay? <laughs> Wilt Palm the bowling ball. And Caseta was a reliable source. This wasn't hearsay, okay? That's amazing. He said he once saw him throw underhand. A football 75 yards oh under you know this is the kind of athlete what was okay to answer your question it's gonna would would they allow him to play his game or would they ignore him and have him stand out on the free throw line will had a turnaround jumper this is the funny thing about will and the, and the will will's pride was he didn't want people just to think of him as a seven foot freak he wanted to be thought of as an athlete and 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 as time went on, he developed a turnaround jumper, which, of course, Russell loved because he figured if he makes his first one, he's going to want to take the next two or three for the rest yeah. of the night, you know, which is which was true, which is true. And and everybody was like, what you know, they were just applauding. Thank you for Wilt for taking that turnaround. Bank. It was a bank <laughs> shot, too. And and it was good at it, but it wasn't, you know, that, anyway. What would he do? What do, what do you do with any of those guys? Not just Wilt. We took Kareem, uh, Bob Lanier, all the great low post centers of the past. And the game as it's played today. Now, I just saw last week the 76ers were in town and then beat at 38 points. And a lot of them were inside. Yeah. You know, it's, it was a very good balance of, in, of, of his modern technology, his modern skill set, inside, outside. He hit a three or two. I had a fact he hit a, a crushing three in a, in a big sequence of the game. But he also had a lot of his points were inside. You know, with with the with the footwork that he possesses, uh, I don't know, but you, I'd like to think that you would make an accommodation to have some kind of balance. That's all I'm asking for with, with the game of today. I want to would, have. Would them- they, Bob? Would they have turned him into a a stretch five like they've done with with the Al Horfords? Oh, Al Horfords, or, or or of course they tend themselves to look at Pazingas. You know, Pazingas is just an outgrowth of, of of you know, it's the latest European. You know, and uh, who do it to do it? You know, uh, look at Dirk. Dirk never wanted to be a center. Dirk was never a center. He, he won no part of that game. KD? Dirk wanted look, no KD. part of that, right? Of that low post, getting your butt kicked and fighting for position. Uh-uh. No. So he gives, comes up with one of the three or four great signature shots in the history of the game. You know, that step back of his is, 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 is a classic. I don't know. It's a great imponderable what they do with a Wilt Chamberlain today. It's, I, I think the closest thing is we're looking at two guys in this league that have the requisite inside-outside skills that could play the old way and a new way. And the other one, of course, I mentioned one, Dan Bede, and the other one is uh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know where you fit Jokic in all this. We can talk about him someday about whether he's going to, you know, decide to get in shape or not. <laughs> but, uh, you know. I'm not it, telling him that. I'm not telling Jokic anything, man. He, he, he looks like he'd hurt us. So, But, uh, uh, anyway, it's a great imponderable. Will Chamberlain, yes, folks, 50.4 points a game. And, uh, <laughs> great. All right, there you have it. Uh, Ryan and Goodman podcast, Christmas edition. Bob, uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, Jeff, and your family. And uh, we'll see you. Uh, well, it's no next week. No, not we got to figure out where next week. It's going to be from like a, a hotel in uh, San Francisco, maybe or something. You. I'm I'm anchored. I'm fine. All right, we'll we'll figure it out next <laughs> week. But enjoy the time with your family, and we'll talk next week. 